Welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, science fiction, and horror novels. I'm Evan. And I'm Chad. Today we're talking about Senlin Ascends, book one in the Books of Babel series by Josiah Bancroft. I am so excited to talk about this book. This is great. Oh my god, this is one of my favorite books that I've read, if not ever, definitely this year. I love it. I read this back in 2013, like right or 2014 or something like right when it came out, because Mark Lawrence, um, an author that I definitely really respect, um, I think this won some kind of contest that Mark Lawrence does called like the SPBO or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but this, I think, won that contest and Mark Lawrence was just raving about it. And it kind of exploded onto the scene, much in the same way that Kings of the Wild by Nicholas Eames did. You know, it's just it was one of those series that, you know, I was frequenting the fantasy subreddit a lot. And all of a sudden, it felt like everybody was talking about Senlin Ascends. So I read it, and then I didn't think about the rest of the series for a while. Like after, I just did, wasn't paying attention to more books coming out or anything. You went through a phase a few years back where you kind of kind of did that. <laughs> I did go through a phase. Yeah, I would just read the first book and then never really pick anything else up. And I never really do that anymore. But I thought it was really great. And then I moved on to Abercrombie and Robin Hobb and just, you know, everything else that I was reading. And so when Chad and I started the podcast and started doing our series recaps and stuff, right around the time that we started the podcast, the fourth and final book in this series came out. And I thought these would be perfect. That I remember that first book being so different than anything else that I had read. And even looking back on it before I started my second read of this first book, I remember thinking, I don't think we, that chad has read anything quite like this i haven't nope. read anything quite like this so it'd be perfect and so here you we are nailed your choice i mean you nail every one of our choices we seem to go from like perfect book to perfectly different but also excellent book series so you're an excellent guide when it comes to that but this one was a especially high mark of excellence on your part because this book is so unique i've never read anything like it I went into it only having your recommendation, which is more than enough, Aww. but I didn't know any of the story or anything. I was like, oh, it's kind of going to be, and it was, I knew it had the Tower of Babel in it. So I was like, oh, it's going to be like a historical fiction kind of. And also no. she, through sheer coinkadink, I'm reading Mark Lawrence's Broken Empire series right now. Right. What are the odds? I know. Right. And so when I saw on the cover of Senlin, it says like Mark Lawrence raves or whatever. I was like, oh, very cool. Well, on the cover of Mark Lawrence says one of my favorite books of all time. Which is, you know, glowing praise. High praise. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just, I looked it up before this episode. Apparently, um, I think it's pronounced Babel and not Babel, which oh. I think is like an important distinction because uh, I looked it up and apparently uh, Josiah Bancroft had no intention of it. It's not the Tower of Babel from um, the Old Testament, right? I think it's it's like loosely based on it, uh, obviously, because this is a fantasy book, but he, he intended it. It's not our timeline, our planet kind of thing. He wasn't going oh, interesting. for that. Yeah. So, um, and you can kind of tell as the book moves on, it is a very different world than ours and there's different rules to things. But um, like at first, I could see like in the first couple chapters thinking like this is the Tower of Babel from the right. This, this is like a spin on that. And I think it, he mostly just liked the idea of this tower as the setting for these books, which is an incredible idea. Such an amazing idea. Uh, I'm glad you explained that, though, because I did kind of think it was the famed Old Testament Tower of Babel that was the centerpiece for this book. But obviously, it's very much different as like within chapter one, our main characters arrive by train 
as right. airships. <laughs> <laughs> However, I did wonder, and don't tell me, but I did wonder and do wonder if the series is going to end with everyone speaking a different language <laughs> and parting I, ways. I kind of doubt that. But I don't know, though, because I haven't read. I mean, now you and I are on the same footing, you know, because I did read this a long time ago. And I'm glad I did reread it because, I mean, I wouldn't have been able to. I've read hundreds of books since since then and now. So and there's a lot of nuance. Yeah, there's a lot that happens in this book and you'll all see uh chad and i are going to do the same thing we did for warbreaker for this episode where we're going to do just one nice long recap and it's a very detailed recap as well because this book just bounces along there's just like one ridiculous thing after another is happening and there's a really good sense of progression here mm -hmm. there's a really good sense that thomas senlin has this goal and things keep getting in the way of thomas's goal but the things that keep getting in the way all seem at first like they're just these random occurrences but then as the book goes on and hopefully as the series goes on a lot of things start to button up and a lot of things start to make more sense and and become much clearer this is a whole situation this whole tower is not quite what it seems and if i may <laughs> neither is neither is our boy Thomas Thomas Senlin. Yeah, I uh, I completely agree with with what you said. And progression is the right word, not only in his internal struggles and himself as a person, but also in his literal travel as he ascends the tower. You know, the yeah. name of the book is very apropos since that's what he is doing the entire book. And I like how you have a cool little map in the beginning of the book and it kind of shows some of the, the levels i haven't even opened the second book yet but i imagine there will be a continuation of that map I, at least i would hope so um i mean i'm really curious to see if this thing has a top yeah there's some sort of top level i mean because if i was writing this series i would say you know what would be cool is throughout this whole series he just keeps getting higher and higher right that's <laughs> obviously like come on that's got to be what's going on right here, right, right? Like, it's not going to go lower. And if he does, it's just going to be a setback for him to keep going higher. It explained, it's explained very cleverly in the beginning via way of this awesome guidebook that Senlin has with him that gives him kind of ridiculous advice as he ascends the tower that the tower has a hundred stories ish but nobody knows because if you get near the higher levels they'll shoot you down <laughs> <laughs> and each level is a hundred feet tall it just ascends into the sky which is uh, it's just you such see it. an awesome see idea because you get like you know i love the exploration factor and typically you have to like travel and camp and travel and camp but not this book you just boom take a flight of stairs and you're in a whole new realm yeah you're going kingdom yeah i mean i've i read some reviews for this and and people seem the most excited about the setting the, the setting is one of the most unique settings that i've read in fantasy without a doubt and another thing that people seem to really like and i really do agree with this is bancroft's prose his writing is really really good really good the writing reflects the main character so well that's a good way of yeah, saying yeah right it's like studious yeah and it doesn't get in the way of the story really it's not it's not like so purple that it's unreadable or that it's too dense or it's not it's nothing like that it's just it doesn't feel like that kind of utilitarian prose or that that or that really orwellian prose that maybe uh, like a sanderson would have you know, it, it doesn't, it's not quite, it's a little bit askew from that. It kind of almost feels similar to Catherine Arden's writing. Sentences take a, take a little bit more of their own time, you know. Um, he's kind of playing with the language now and then. And 
I mean, that lends a lot to the whole atmosphere of this whole book and especially the thought processes of our very studious scholarly main character. And I'm really curious to see if maybe, you know, as Senlin gets a little bit less studious, I'm, I'm curious to see if like the writing takes any kind of shift at all. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not totally positive that it will, but it would be interesting because it, it does seem very reflective of the main character right now, but that's going to change. It definitely does. I, that's an excellent way of putting it, that the writing style reflects the main character, how he thinks, how he operates. And the book isn't trying to be a comedy, but in this like dry, really unique way, it kind of is like, you know, at the beginning of each chapter, we get this little blurb from the guidebook that he has um, until it changes later, what we'll get into. And, you know, one of them um, is a good example of what we're talking about. It says the difference between the levels are only two things, the shape of their outermost walls, which is circular and the price of beef, which is outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, that's not supposed to be funny, but kind of, I don't know. It's just weird. The way that the guidebook is kind of spelled out is kind of reflective of the tower's nature as a whole, too. You know, it's yes. it's nothing as quite as it seems. Everything is kind of um, presented one way, but is actually kind of yeah. there to screw with you and kind of take advantage of you. And it, it, it feels and reads kind of as Sandlin keeps ascending and, and keeps progressing here. You know, the guidebook is kind of he's like, is this we was this even written by people that had. Like ever been here? been here before <laughs> this is a completely different because you know they're selling it as like this amazing travel destination and i think the the ultimate <laughs> not necessarily irony but just like the the funniest part about all this is that this school teacher basically like specialized in this tower and was so excited to get here and it's just a total shit show just seeing him dealing with that both internally and externally just seeing how he's he's almost kind of like got hope held out that eventually he's going to get to like a sane spot hilariously where he's gonna, like, yeah he's gonna like and that's part of the funny the the comedy of everything you know you're kind of going along with senlin and, and almost expecting that yourself but at the back of your mind you're like this is not going to be good for anybody no. this is going to be a total disaster i love it yeah senlin sees the tower as the seed of civilization the most <laughs> advanced place right. in all of the lands you know to be um upheld and uh lauded and he's so forgiving of the tower for a long time. You know, even right when he arrives, like an airship falls out of the sky <laughs> and crashes, like killing a bunch of people. And then like all the mangled bodies of the people on the airship are like totally disregarded as the civilians who live in the town come over and start like ransacking through the goods. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'm sure that like, uh, you know, later on the constabulary will come and take the bodies. <laughs> like, you know, like, oh, he's just so forgiving after just ridiculous and somewhat horrific things keep happening to him. Oh, bother. Oh, bother. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's British, but well, maybe though the, the narrator know. for the audiobook was, was he Irish? Did you get that? Or was he just really good at doing Irish accents? Because I think he, I gave think he just Finn was really Gall. good. Yeah, he was an excellent narrator. I did about half of this over audio, and I think you did the whole thing over audio, right? I did, yeah. I ordered yeah. the books, but I accidentally ordered them from the UK, and so they still have not oh, arrived. Wow. So I had to do the whole thing in audiobook. But thankfully, the reader was excellent. Yeah, really good narrator. We'll put his name down in the description. It's kind of escaping my memory right now. but Same. Um, but yeah, without further ado, let's get right into the big, long, detailed recap. As with the episode for Warbreaker, if you like, you can just skip right past the recap if you feel confident that you already know everything that was going on. Um, if you're read up on everything and you want to just hear Chad and myself 
get to talking about things in detail. We'll timestamp uh, the beginning of the recap and the end of the recap down in the description for this episode. All right, let's get going. All right. The story begins with newlyweds Thomas Senlin and Maria on their honeymoon arriving by train to the Tower of Babel and its surrounding city. Maria wanders into a shop while Senlin stays outside and speaks with a passing couple. After the couple leaves, Senlin realizes Maria has disappeared. He waits two full days for Maria to come back to him, until finally deciding she must have gotten lost and is now headed to the baths, the tower's third floor, where they had planned on staying. Approaching the tower, Senlin meets a young man named Adamus Boreas, Adam, who agrees to be his guide. He leads Senlin to a disgusting hotel where he stays the night, waking to discover that both Adam and his luggage are gone. Senlin is left only with his guidebook and the scant money he has managed to hide on his person. While buying a new suit, Senlin sees a man named Finn Gole haggling over clothing. Recognizing the clothes as Maria's, Senlin accuses the man of theft, and Gole claims he purchased these clothes from a young man fitting Adam's description. After clearing up the misunderstanding, the two get a drink at an odd bicycle-like machine which, when engaged, produces free beer. Senlin asks Gol to escort him up the tower, but Gol refuses, claiming everyone's path up the tower is his own. Senlin arrives at the tower's second level, a theater district. In order to pass through, he must attend the play as an actor and play an assigned part. The man giving instructions stresses that all the actors must keep the fires going. The play begins with Senlin assigned the role of butler. It is a cheap story of a scandalous love affair. The actor is apparently supposed to make up the dialogue and the outcome of the story. The man playing the role of a businessman, married to the bored and unfaithful housewife, kills the actor playing his business partner with whom his wife was consorting with then begins to advance on Senlin and the woman playing the unfaithful wife. They flee, attempting to lock and bar the doors behind them. The woman playing the wife introduces herself as Edith, and a bond begins to form between them as they escape the crazed actor. The two are confronted by the enraged husband and a fight breaks out. The husband attacks Edith, but Senlin saves her by hitting him with a fire poker. They run away and finally escape the play but not before the husband arrives with a gun drawn. Before he can pull the trigger, he is shot and killed by one of the play orchestrators. Senlin and Edith are then taken to a rickety wire cage secured to the side of the tower, hundreds of feet above the ground. Locked in, Edith recounts her past while they await a verdict from some mysterious entity judging their performance. After spending the night in the cage, the verdict comes through that Senlin is able to ascend to the next level of the tower, but Edith is to be branded and forbidden to return. She failed the theater, apparently, as she did not aid in keeping the fires lit per their pre-performance instructions. Senlin, trying to be supportive, attends her branding. She passes out due to pain, and wanting to avoid an awkward goodbye and needing to find his wife, Senlin moves on to the next level, the baths. Senlin is led into the baths and is struck by their incredible size and beauty. He meets an odd curmudgeon fellow named Taru. He settles into a routine, now enjoying the nicer accommodations of the bath level. 
He spends his days searching for Maria and his evenings enjoying wine, dinner, and conversation with his new friend. One evening, after a drunken Taru knocks over a local painter's paintings, Senlin, while helping to pick them up, recognizes Maria upon the canvas. The painter, whose name is Ogier, agrees to tell Senlin all he knows, but only after Senlin helps him to get back his masterpiece painting from the local overlord, the Commissioner. The Commissioner is a feared and mysterious figure who lives in a mansion and keeps a monster of a man, brutal and cruel, called the Red Hand, as a bodyguard. After much scheming and planning with Taru, Senlin manages to acquire the painting after tricking the commissioner into thinking he is an art expert and can help remove an odor lingering upon it. In the process, Senlin is discovered by a local constable who tells Senlin he will give him two hours before informing the commissioner of his treachery. On his way to meet with Ogier, he comes upon a public hearing of sorts being performed by the commissioner, telling all that his friend Taru is in debt and is being sent to the realm within the walls, the tower's prison, the wretched souls living in it referred to as Hods. Senlin meets with Ogier, who gives him the painting and one he did of Senlin's wife, Maria, and sends him off via airship to New Babel, the tower's fourth ringdom. Upon entering this new city and being set upon by a large woman, Senlin takes refuge in what turns out to be a drug den, the drug in question being a powdery substance called crumb. He loses consciousness after accidentally ingesting the drug. When he awakes, he is with Finn Gole, the man from the first floor clothes store, who wants to hire Senlin as his port master, as he can read and write. Senlin reluctantly agrees and begins the job. His assistant is none other than the young thief Adam, who tells Senlin that he was only operating on the orders of Gole, who has been pulling strings hoping to hire Senlin for this position all along. The Amazon woman, who set upon Senlin on his arrival to New Babel, is named Erin and works as an enforcer for Gole. Senlin begins his new job working as the portmaster, proving a sure hand. He and Adam form a bond and begin planning an escape from Gole. Senlin, recognizing that Aaron is illiterate, offers to teach her to read and write if she teaches him to fight. Though stoic and unreadable, she agrees and they begin training with each other every day. Senlin is threatened by Gol, who learns Senlin has given raises to the port workers using the extra money he has created by streamlining port operations. Senlin learns that Adam's sister is working as an exotic dancer, and that Adam is working for Gol so he can pay off their debts and earn their freedom. An airship arrives one day, bearing none other than Edith, the woman from the play who tragically lost an arm, but being the one with the brand, she was free to get a job aboard the airship and quickly rose to first mate. She now has a mechanical arm. Zenlin plots with her to take the airship she arrived on from the captain, Billy Lee, and use it to escape with Adam and his sister, Volita. Zenlin is attacked one night in his room by the Red Hand, who wants the painting Zenlin stole from his master, the Commissioner. Senlin is saved by Adam, who shoots the Red Hand, who then flees into the night. Knowing his enemies are closing quickly about him, Senlin's plan comes to fruition in a chaotic eruption of events. On board the airship, Senlin hopes to take for himself. Gol, Rodion, the master of a pleasure house Adam's sister works in, the commissioner, and each of their respective crews all clash in a chaotic tumble of violence. Radion is shot and killed by Senlin. Gol escapes into the city, the Red Hand is defeated by Edith who drops him overboard and the Commissioner and his airship fall into the clouds of a raging snowstorm, their fate unknown. Senlin learns that the painter Ogier, 
likely killed by the Red Hand, was not the original painter of the painting, and that it is sought after by much greater forces than he is aware. Their victory temporary and tenuous, the book ends. Asenlin, Edith, Aaron, Adam, and his sister Volita make their escape. Danger nips at their heels, but with their heads held high and an airship to call their own, they ascend, disappearing into the chaos of the snowstorm. So was it just me, or for the first like half of this book, did you have a sneaking suspicion that Maria had kind of bailed on Senlin? Like a little, yeah. I, yeah. I did, but then we start hearing about their backstory. Exactly, like her experience, um, not only with Ogier, but they, they really did seem to have kind of like a like an opposites attract kind of real chemistry. Yeah, there, right? so much so that back in their hometown, they were willing to risk the accusation of him having uh, of her him impregnating her before the wedding because they wanted to rush to the wedding though that didn't actually happen they just wanted to get married fast it just kind of felt like there was more to her disappearing than her just kind of wandering because it seemed my, on my first reading right like i'm just i'm trying to think about like my mindset the first time i was reading this and on my first reading before i kind of got to the parts where it was going into more detail of their history as a couple and then Maria's experience with Ogier and stuff, or at least Ogier's recounting of whatever. Mm -hmm. um, it felt like there was some kind of nefarious thing going on where like, it seemed like Mario was like this really free spirited, uh, like much cooler person <laughs> than Senlin. And Way it, cooler like, on the social scale. Right. Yeah. Just, and just like a lot more interesting of a person almost. Um, and that <laughs> she had kind of just used this as an opportunity to kind of bounce on Senlin and that he was kind of like threading his way through the tower kind of to find someone that did no longer really wanted to be with him. But I'm right. glad that, that I'm glad that's not how things shook out and that Maria is it looks like Maria is going to be a much more dimensional character than that and she wasn't like this MacGuffin thing mm -hmm. I don't know I just I liked that it well, took that turn to where it was it was this real relationship between the two of them and it made it that much more important that he find her and while I agree with everything you just said I think their love was real I don't think that yeah. she was just using him I do have some major questions because at the end of the book he sees her on the airship of the commissioner and i thought he was on drugs tea. oh is he on drugs i think he's on drugs dude oh yeah because there's like a bunch before. of crumb. yeah i think you're right yeah, you're right a, you actually thought that was <laughs> i did you like, i did you were like what's she doing on well, that i forgot ship? that he sees her come out and she like drinks some tea and asks yeah. what role she's gonna play and i was like maybe she's been brainwashed or something but no you're totally right he was on drugs hallucinating <laughs> oh gosh i was tricked it even says in like the last doesn't it say in like the last a couple pages of the book that um the drug is like still in his system yes to some degree yeah <laughs> and he's still like whoa <laughs> and that's how the red yeah like, okay totally the makes book sense thinking like maria's just like uh, conniving on this ship yeah, yeah i was like wow, dude, what the, well funny. no i actually thought that she must obviously there's some higher technology we're not aware of as like the red hand seems to be like maybe bionic man so i was like right. maybe they brainwashed her or have her on drugs or something you know some sort of control i had all sorts of wild theories um which are all completely false now that <laughs> <laughs> I want to know when the first I think it's the only time but when when Senlin initially gets robbed in the first um ringdom because <laughs> I definitely thought well yeah Senlin 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I think it's either that chapter or the one after it that begins. The quote is like, you must keep your friends and belongings with you at all times. In fact, some even tether themselves to each other so they don't get lost. And then like two pages later, Senlin's like, I don't want to go into the, the brazier shop. And he's like, Senlin, dude, Senlin, no. <laughs> and then lose it's like, your wife. Yeah. And then, of course, yeah. and then he gets in this conversation and then his luggage is like immediately stolen. <laughs> I'm like, dude. You know, I don't know why I didn't do this before, but I'm going to take this opportunity to look up what a pith helmet is. A pith helmet? That, well, that's what Maria is wearing. It's a red pith helmet. So oh. I need. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, it's like, whoa, I didn't know that. Okay, so it's like um, it's like the uh, the guy on safari in the movie Jumanji is wearing oh. like that kind of hat. I think. Oh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a safari hat. That's like the only way you could say it. Okay, like, I didn't know what that was. And I went this entire time having read this book twice. And now I'm just now doing it on the podcast. But I, <laughs> I just... every bumbling safari guide who ends up like being taken over by a band of apes or something uh, is wearing one of these hats for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think about the uh, the, the parlor? The parlor is the first store the the parlor is the the theater it's like the I'm second you... the second ringdom yeah okay i'm glad we're getting this because i was really confused on that i was like then the because they kept referring to the parlor i was like i'm pretty sure that was the theater but i didn't know yeah um the weirdest and Weird. most incredible like i mean the pacing in this book is so odd we just keep going from one thing to the next to the next and next thing you know someone is running for his life <laughs> and it's yeah. just awesome because he's so forgiving of the tower and its oddities and it not matching his expectation of what it is that he's like so slow to realize that someone's actually being murdered in front of him right and like you and he's you like oh my god believe it like i didn't really believe it i was just like okay there's no way that this guy this is all part of the you know this is just a way to shake senlin up right this there's no way this is like actually he didn't actually like shove a what was it like a spear or something like through this guy's back right yeah yeah and there's like blood like gushing like out of this spear, guy yeah, yeah. <laughs> And even Senlin's just like, okay, what a this is a very this is a very, very well, realistic well props. put together play here. But yeah, I mean, it's funny. My my first time reading through this, the the beginning really intrigued me. You know, um, Senlin and Maria arriving, Maria getting lost, him getting robbed, like the 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 beer merry-go-round thing, Finn Gall, all of that stuff was like really intriguing. And then he got to the parlor, and my first read through this, I I almost put the book down. Because really? I was just well, yeah. Cause, and it wasn't. It wasn't even because I hated it or anything like that. It was mostly just it felt so disjointed. It felt like Bancroft had started this really cool book and then tacked in like this weird, mm. like trippy fever dream short story onto it. Right. Because it's so different than something you would expect to happen next. Is this an, an entire floor being dedicated to? a play that's going on and not only a play that's going on but there's dozens of different versions of this play going on simultaneously without without an audience even and i was right. just like what the hell is happening here like this doesn't make I, I was almost having a hard time following it because of how weird it was but as the book goes on and you know you get that revelation at the end of the book which is essentially that the parlor is all this big ruse so that they can keep fires stoked and like the whole right, tower is like this big engine, you know, and it, it yeah, the first three stories out. are just being are just clever manipulations to keep a what seems to be an electric generating system going. Yeah. It's an engine. Yeah, the engine, because like the bicycle beer thing, I'm like, who's giving out free beer? Then it turns out, oh, these people are being tricked into turning probably a turbine right. and, you know, they're being incentivized with free beer that comes flowing forth. 
Yeah, it's one of those books where you kind of have to have a lot of faith that things are that there's a reason for all of this. Yes. You know, and it's and it was hard my first time. It felt so disconnected. I I just couldn't I couldn't see what the reason was. I mean, and I'm glad I pushed through because of the really interesting main character, the situation and the writing. And then you get to the baths and then Senlin is basically just hanging. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so, so I yeah. I didn't have the same didn't have the same hesitancy that you had with the uh, parlor simply because two things they gave the fire instructions and then the brass knobs on the wall that right. Senlin is wondering about multiple times totally. leading me to like okay there's a there's a deeper thing going on and I'm having faith that all will be explained to me I also kind of went into the tower as like a how far down does the rabbit hole right, yeah. sort of adventure go in my mind question for you the guy who plays the businessman who ends up chasing Senlin and Edith throughout the tower is he mm -hmm. Mayfair they call him who is he met him before that and where did he yeah because he was like it's Mayfair and like I know that guy like you think he ran into him or something earlier in the tower that's so weird. I've read this twice now, and I don't remember that at all. He I don't have the he book didn't have to much look at, time. He didn't have much time to run into him. I know, because the only thing that happened before that was the clothing store situation where he accuses that guy. But that guy is goal. goal. And then maybe he was just a, a fellow bicyclist. Because for some reason, I definitely had the impression that he had met Mayfair prior. I don't know. I wish I could answer that. I just honestly have no idea. Hmm. I'm going to figure it out uh, whenever the book arrives. <laughs> so I can go back and actually look at the pages. So knowing as much as you do now about these books or about this particular book, um, do you think that as as Senlin kind of ascends through the Tower of Babel, do you think it's going to get more, for lack of a better word, like sensical, like civilized as it goes on? Or do you think it's going to get weirder? Like, do you think it's going to get even more ridiculous? Like, you think we're going to see... I don't know, like jungles or weird cyberpunk steam engine. Like, I don't know if it's just going to start getting like ritzier yeah. or if it's going to, I'm curious because because is... now I know that there's like this kind of like engine situation. So it almost kind of reminds me of that movie Snowpiercer. Like, oh my like, gosh. Yeah. I was literally waiting for you to stop before. A no wow. Oh, wow. Dude, wow. You're in my brain. I was oh, going to wow. use that as an analogy. <laughs> It's kind of the same thing where it's yes, like that's exactly right. It's it's got that same vibe where there's all these like mismatched weird things going on and you're kind of like, "Oh, okay, I don't really know what the point of all this is." And then there's this revelation that there's this big giant, you know, it seems like there's a conspiracy going on here. There's got to right. be someone at the top. And it's even alluded to uh the I think the commissioner says like you have no idea who you've like basically the powers like, pissed that be off. here. Like you, yeah. you you've made people way above me mad at you now you right know? and i think that's and then uh, someone mentions the, the sphinx right i think the red hand bench uh, the red hand we're jumping all over the place now but the red yeah. hand <laughs> at the end tells edith he like calls her his sister or something yeah something really weird like, and then sister, says something why about would you the sphinx. something yeah so yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm wondering what like your thoughts are on like how is this what do you think this tower is going to progress into like do you think it's going to get more kind of like wild west you know, just absolute insanity? Or do you think it's going to get much more refined and ritzy and like Semlin's going to have to kind of navigate through these kind of like um, higher classes almost? 
as uh, and you stole my line from me, I'm going to use it anyway. As we learned from Snowpiercer, the tastes of the rich are eclectic and um, <laughs> rather troublesome and dangerous when they get bored with access to an infinite amount of resources. I know that and... babies taste the best. Yeah, <laughs> I know that babies they're like eating taste bugs. The best. Ooh. Brutal. So I think it is going to be certainly not safer as I think that the rich are going to build, you know, I, I think it's safe to say that as we rise, the wealth of the general populace will increase uh, exponentially with each level. And so I think we're going to get weirder settings, more dangerous obstacles, right, and more intrigue as the level higher we, because every level, there's like a, a lord of that level, but he acknowledges that he's not the lord. And I think that's going to start changing a little bit and that the lords are going to be like no i'm the lord the lord but really there's powers above him and they're going to be fighting i think we're going to see some like level to level ringdom battles yeah like everybody answers to somebody yeah exactly it's alluded to um where they're talking about some secret society the guy who tricks maria once senlin learns from ogier her story a little bit the the fell the fells or something like that yeah the guy who's basically a, a pimp right he like finds women takes them and then s- introduces them, them to yeah, high yeah. society it refines them and yes. then sells them and which is okay side note she is paying him like three marks or whatever their f- money is per day for his access to the network and him supposedly finding someone with the resources to help her find Senlin. But he's actually selling her. So he, she's paying him so he can sell her to make more money. Like, whoa, what a dude. You know, like that guy is pretty evil. It looks like the, the ringdom above New Babel is called Pelthia. Pelf or Pelf Pel uh, is the name of that, like the guy that's got Oh, it's the, the family. Right, the family that's got a hold of um, Maria. Yeah, because it's alluded to in like the secret society of people that like help people find Buddy, but really are just like rich elites. I love um, the uh, I love like the the beginning stages of us starting a, a series because you and I could be so wrong about so many things but and this have is, been. This is the most fun part about it, though, is making all these predictions that you know sometimes we're right on the money. You know, yeah. uh, but sometimes it's like a completely fucking different thing. I know, and I always forget the predictions that be. we made. So yeah, I'm listening to a later cast. I'm like, oh man, you were so wrong. <laughs> uh, switching gears just a little bit here. I have a question. What do you think is up with the Hods? What the fuck? What is all of that? Oh the, my goodness. That is this what? whole other super dark part of this that's just barely yeah. touched on a few different times. And it's so weird. It's wonderful. What a cool vehicle for like hellish terror that's happening within the walls around all, all, all the time around them that we don't get to see. And I think that's going to become, I mean, the last book is called the Hod King. I think it's the third, the third, the third one. The the names of these books are really interesting because there's, there's Senlin Ascends and then the arm of the Sphinx, which sounds pretty like, that sounds like the, the kind of, maybe the secret society. Right. We're going to learn about the Illuminati. (laughs) And then, the Hod King, right? So the, we're obviously going to learn a lot more about the Hods. And then the, the last book is called The Fall of Babel, oh. which is really interesting. <laughs> uh, but yeah, what? like the Hods thing, like I don't, is, are they, I kind of wanted to, to scratch your brain about it a little bit. And like, I, I, like, are they like prisoners? 
Is it only people that haven't paid their debts? Is it this whole subclass of people for a bunch of other different reasons? Because it seems like they've already got people to power the, the tower. You know, they, they've got the people on the, the beer go round thing. They've got, it seems like they've got everything they need, at least for that specific purpose. But I don't know what, what use it would be to have like this kind of extreme underclass of people um, kind of populating this area. Right. Okay. So a few thoughts on that. I think one, the hot is obviously a threat to the occupants to keep in line. So there's like this ever over their heads threat of the hod king being becoming a hod. And then two, I do think that they serve a purpose because it's mentioned by Adam that he's spent some time in hod land. And, you know, yeah, and he was like, you know, there's cages of starving women, like the things that I've seen, you know, people will pass out, will die from hunger and thirst, and then their bodies and their bones will become part of the floor as hot right. shuffle over them. So there's like a lot of movement mentioned in relation to the land of the Hods. So I think that they're like couriers, maybe moving things up and down the tower, like resources and stuff. Interesting. That might be one of the most intriguing things to me it's about so all cool. of this. Is and I think that one of the things that lent so much to that intrigue is it was barely talked about. Barely. Right. And it's so there's only like so that what there's like that part where um like Senlin and Taru were talking in the baths and they see this guy basically. Right. Taru's like watch the show. Hot. Right. And he's like, Hey, don't forget to pay your debts. Right. Now an <laughs> interesting thing debts. happens in that scene. Just to start off his hellish torture, they bring him a barrel of coal. They bring yeah. this man a basket, like a huge thing of coal, and then announce to the world that he's a hod because he didn't pay his debts, clap him in irons, and force him to grab this thing of coal that, assumingly, they took like out of its way of its final destination just to bring to him so they could be like, and this is your life now, oh which kind of leads to their purpose, too. So apparently they're coal haulers. They seem to be kind of like the working... Class yeah of this maybe not even working class in the sense that you and i would look at it but like for lack of a better word slaves like slaves yeah, yeah, the, yeah the mice like, in the walls keeping it going yeah yeah because is... there's um there's the bikers that provide the fuel and the the actors that keep the fires going but someone's got to be in charge of the actual mechanism and keeping you know the fires i guess actually going in the background and I don't know. providing yeah. fuel that's one of the things that apart from senlin's you know quest or whatever is contributing quite a bit to uh, all the intrigue here you know there's a lot of growth here obviously like senlin kind of turns into a little bit more of a badass a little bit more capable yeah, you know he starts taking a lot more initiative he starts becoming much more proactive and not even just proactive because anybody can be proactive in this situation but it, he's like he's more informed he's got much more knowledge of of kind of the the way that everything's going to shake out for most of the time and you know the way that things are going to shake out is usually someone's going to betray you or somebody's <laughs> someone's been lying to you and you know he hasn't learned that fully obviously but senlin is definitely progressing a lot towards what i think is going to be i mean i'm just going to say it right now yeah captain. like i'm pretty sure he's just going <laughs> to he's going to do a full 180 yep you know he's going to turn into a devilish rogue so senlin has got to be either close to or fully my favorite character in any book that I've definitely read this year. He's not the most dynamic, skilled, um, you know, he's got like super book smart, not street smart at all. And none of your usual traits that define the typical favorite character. He's just a nice person, intelligent, his own little world, like super naive, but he's also super self-aware. 
and he's way more tough than he gives himself credit for. Definitely. As he gets in the most bizarre and jarring of circumstances so many times, like thrust into them with zero prior knowledge of what was going to happen. And in fact, many times believing that the exact opposite of what's going to happen is going to happen. And then he not only takes those things in stride, he doesn't lose his cool. No. Um, it, it's almost as if he's an awesome person who has never had the opportunity to be awesome before. Like he's a hero, <laughs> but he's too like book smart that he doesn't go seeking heroism and adventure. But now that he's been, it's been thrust upon him. He is a hero and he keeps rising to the occasion and like saving people and attacking people that are probably going to kill him. And uh, just being an overall roguish devil. Yeah. I think that this is a trope that I didn't even know that I loved, which is like book smarts versus street smarts. Yeah. Like the Bilbo Baggins, but he's not yeah, a whiny. Like, you know, yeah. super. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Bilbo. Poor Bilbo, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, kind of the reluctant hero as well. Yeah, I mean, he's the reluctant hero, but, I mean, he's he's so out of his depth, you know, and we, yeah. love, we love to see that. We love to see someone out of their depth, rise to the occasion. You know, I'll, I'll read it a billion times. Um, but it just so happens that our character who's so out of their depth is out of their depth in a place that I've never read about before and never, never got to experience this kind of, this specific, kind of intrigue was there anything about the book that didn't work for you i'm curious because you seem to really love this a lot which I'm is awesome so also, much. obviously but was there anything that gave you pause or that um that just didn't really work for you that you that you um yeah and mm. you can answer that there was nothing it's totally okay <laughs> let's see here like certainly not perfect but man i don't know if i'm gonna be able to give you a good answer on that it i enjoyed everything from yeah. i just enjoyed it all and like the like we've mentioned before, the pacing was so good, but it's very unique sort of pacing. And that like halfway through a conversation, a building might explode. And right, it's mentioned yeah. like the, the conversation is like it's in the same kind of tenor, which is just funny <laughs> and also striking. Totally. It's just, is, is there anything for you that you were just like, eh? Um, yeah, I mean, I thought that uh, there was a lot of coincidence in this book. It didn't quite break my immersion or anything. Edith is but, back. Okay, yeah, I'm right. With you. Yeah, I'm with so you. Yeah. that's like the only thing. And you know, um, obviously, we've already heaped so much praise onto this book, so we can we can pick out a pick, sure. pick at it a little bit. But like, yeah, it's just like Edith showing up. And mm -hmm. I mean, I liked I liked Edith a lot. I think Edith is great, and I really hope that Edith is kind of front and center in the next book. She's got like that mechanical arm and stuff. Yeah. She seemed to be have been related to the red hand in some kind of way. She seems to know a lot more than she even let on to send. Right. Like, where did she and, get a sweet mechanical arm? Right, exactly. So I want to find out more about Edith. I'm not saying that I'm not happy that she's now kind of in this, you know, but Senlin Senlin's just he's making this plan and he tells Adam, We need to find a ship. We need to find a ship. We need <laughs> yeah. to find a ship. And then Edith shows up on like this perfect airship yeah. just right right for the taking <laughs> and then not only that Semlin sits down with Edith and you know Bancroft tries to write it out like she's super hesitant to work with him and stuff but it's like this no she's not like yeah it's like this half conversation where Semlin's like we we could let's get out of here and Edith is just 
down like super i will let's kill the captain of the ship i've been on for months and right you know what I mean? and i think he realized that after he was writing that like conversation and was like but also the captain is a monster right i don't <laughs> throws that in there you know it's it sounds definitely a little nitpicky now that i'm saying it but it was just one of those um that's just and when I'm reading stuff, that's one thing that kind of breaks immersion for me sometimes is when things are a little too convenient. Yeah. Um, and that was just one of those things for me where, um, you know, Edith shows up, she's ready, she's ready to coup, she's ready to go. And then everything kind of, you know, with the exception of Adam betraying Senlin, right, which was not did not go according to plan. Pretty much everything did go according to plan. Yeah. You know? And I was kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop at the end there. And Adam betraying Senlin was the other shoe but then it was like Senlin was just like ah i get it I get it. people are gonna people are gonna be shitheads in the yeah, tower tower like, people are gonna tower man yeah. um but that was like my only real i mean i think that as much as like that kind of convenience seems a little weird to me the way that it kind of sets everything up for the second book i'm really happy with and really satisfied with so i'm not even like it's not even like a bad thing but it was just something i noticed where i was like huh Oh, well, that all kind of convenient. Yeah, like super easy, barely an inconvenience. You know, (laughs) this is how I get around that mentally, because that happens in a lot of books where you're like, it kind of really, really, it kind of has to. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, well, a lot of things, there's got to be an infinite number of stories throughout the world's history. Right. And some of them are going to have wacky, crazy coincidences. And those just so happen to be the ones that are worth writing about. So it's like compared to all of the stories that have ever happened, it's not that unlikely that one of them would have a crazy number of coincidences that are very helpful. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I, I put in my brain whenever I that think that, that's a good way of rationalizing it. I, and I mean, that's why we're reading about it, because it's a remarkable story. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think remarkable is a really good word for it, where, you know, it's very remarkable that Edith would just show up <laughs> right on time right on time yes there was nothing connecting edith to any of this they, she just happened to show up on an airship to new babel in the Press- dock that senlin was working on you know while senlin was the dock master uh, unhappy with their current position it's fine it's fine uh, yeah, we're gonna by a mechanical arm that can overcome the red hand mechanical yeah. oh okay that leads me into a question do you think we have seen the last of mr hand i don't know i don't know either because last we see him edith is holding him over the edge of the side of the airship and she's hesitating it's weird she's like and he's like sister related yeah i think so too and then she's like done and drops him maybe it's sister in the sense that they're both part of some sort of organization where they or they're both mechanical i think he's probably dead there's enough antagonists right now without bringing everybody back because i don't think i don't think we've seen the last of the commissioner no, um, definitely not. And we probably haven't seen the last of Finn Gull either. So no, because really he just see, runs off. Yeah, like I don't really see, you know, going into a second book where you are advancing into this whole other realm, basically. I don't see bringing back like three antagonists from the previous book, but I could be wrong. I've been, I mean, this is a very surprising series. And I think that of all the books and series that we've read, this will probably be the hardest to predict. This is a very unpredictable book um, yeah. just in and of itself. And I think that that'll extend to the rest of the series too, obviously. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think that I misspoke when I wrote my summary that said the commissioner and his airship disappeared into the clouds, their fate unknown. Because at the end, they actually come back and start shooting at them with cannons, right? Right, yeah. And that's what makes them need to hit the 
updraft and then escape into the storm. I did really like how um, Senlin was really enamored with kites. I, I thought that worked really well, that Senlin really liked kites, and then he flew a kite and found the updraft that they needed to get out. I thought that was just a nice, like all of that made a lot of sense. It was good for like really good character development. It all fit really well. Um, I don't know. Right. I and a to good lesson that, was... that some people have really lame hobbies, but you know what? Maybe they're for a reason. There's no such thing as a lame <laughs> hobby. Yeah, exactly, exactly. One day um, I'm going to be 65 in a basement with trains. You just watch. <laughs> Dude, I've seen some train sets that were like, they're pretty cool. Pretty impressive. I just want to confirm. So Mario wasn't actually pregnant when they got married, right? I don't believe so. No. Okay. I think that that would have been on Senlin's mind. Yeah. You know, I wonder how she got through the play. Is that mentioned at all? I mean, from the the way that I thought about it, I mean, because she must have, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe not, but probably she had to go through the same process that Senlin did. I mean, I, w- I basically was under the impression that Senlin's situation with the um, the kind of like axe murderer <laughs> guy in that in that situation. Um, Mayfair. Was, I thought I, I was under the impression that it was that was kind of an outlier situation. Like that's not the norm. People don't usually like people usually because um, even when Senlin's talking to uh, one of the guys um, in the parlor, he's he's like excited about it because he's already done it, you know, and it seems like it usually kind of goes according to plan for the most part. Senlin just had bad luck. Um, yeah, and how and how lucky for Senlin to be paired up with Edith too, just right, and not to, <laughs> also one of those like dinks And I was like, I did give a little eye roll too. Is when he finds the book being scratched out weirdly by the post person, and that book is explaining a um like occupation within the tower of basically how to. It's a how to guide to steal women and sell them. Oh yeah, that was really. And I was weird. like, oh, he just finds the answer of what happened to his wife. There you go. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Also, what? Why was that person scratching out the words? I don't know. That was really so weird. I think that might come back. That was a very small. There's so many like tiny little, yeah, like tiny little hints that are littered out through here. And I'm wondering like how much of this whole series um, Josiah Bancroft had figured out, mm-hmm. or because that's a very specific thing. Is that you've got a guy sitting there crossing out all of this stuff, and then. Like, it's like, not only is he crossing all that stuff out, but he's very okay with giving it to Senlin for, like, whatever. Like, you remember I that? I found that like, to be very odd, yeah. yeah. Senlin's like, I'll give you an extra copper. And he's like, okay. Gives there it to go. him. It's like, man, he was, like, actively, like, if you yeah. don't like a book, you would just throw it away or destroy it or burn it. That but was weird. he was, yeah, that was really weird. That was really weird. When the commissioner comes at the very end in his airship, before boarding their airship, he takes out an airship called the Golden Finch. What's that all about? Whose ship no is that? Idea. I don't know. It's just like mentioned because he like flies in and the cannon is just going off and just wrecks the airship right next to them. But I think yeah. purposefully. I have no idea what that was about. Okay. I, I mean, that could have been an that could have been an accident. You are maybe just wants to show up with a bang. The ending was really chaotic and not in a bad way at all. But there was a lot of things happened. I listened to it three like, times. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I've read these books. I've read this book twice, and I'm still like, I could give you a pretty good explanation of everything that went down, but there are definitely a few things. I was like. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's pretty so clear. Sen- yeah. It is pretty clear after you get it all, if you kind yeah. of unravel the the tapestry a little bit. Okay. So Senlin's plan is actually really brilliant. But yeah, it is. He smuggles this fake box on board the ship that he's planning on taking over. And he ha- puts a bunch of the drug crumb in it 
hoping that it's kind of be as like his last defense booby trap when someone opens it up thinking that the painting will be inside they get acided and go on a crazy mushroom trip and then he can <laughs> like overcome dosed. them yeah. yeah they get dosed but how did he get the box onto the ship because they like bring it from him the, the hold or something the ship um didn't adam put it on the ship or something maybe or didn't... i don't know like it's a really Edith good question because i remember they're just like the captain who was had got a tip from the pleasure house that he was at that senlin created to make him say this was like i got a tip from some lady this morning that you are wanted by the commissioner and that you have some precious cargo let's bring forth your box and that's what starts the whole thing. They bring forth the right. box. They're just about to open it. And someone's like panicking because he didn't want it to be opened yet. And then that's when Rodion shows up with all his men who right. also Senlin planted a tip with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought that was really cool that Senlin had gotten to this point where he realized that the only way to really get ahead in this tower is to kind of like pit people against each other he and, plays the game and, right he plays the game and i thought he did it in a really really brilliant way he's using these people's greed and, and like overconfidence against each other it's great it was a yeah. great way to round out this book and then simultaneously round out i mean at least start rounding out uh Sinlin's character you know he's yeah. not as trusting anymore he's he kind of starts getting it like this place is mm -hmm. not very forgiving. This place is, it'll spit you out. You know, everyone has a objective that's hidden or, you know, their own uh, what's the word ulterior for? motive. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Another question I have when, sorry, I couldn't answer your, uh, who put the box on the ship question. That's no, a they're specific really specific. It's <laughs> like, dude, I don't know. That's like a sentence. <laughs> like, bro, I haven't like studied this book. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Um, okay. So another question I have is when Senlin gets smuggled out by Ogier onto the airship and goes to new Babel, is that the next tier? up because yeah. all the other tiers he just goes like up the stairs i mean they are 100 feet yeah okay right? so it's like uh but yeah i think it goes um there's like the so there's the market which is kind of surrounding the entire thing and then the skirts are where the airships kind of crash and like rocks fall down and stuff and um and then there's the basement which is where he gets robbed and that's level one right that's level one is which the confused basement. me i know because you think basement should be underground <laughs> so i was like did he start at level negative one right what is this I thought that exact same thing. Um, but then uh, the parlor is, you know, all the um, is the, the, all the th theaters and stuff. And then the baths. And then New Babel is on top of the baths. So in this whole book, he's only going up to the, I guess, technically the fourth. Or I guess at the very, very end, he's probably past the fourth. Right, he gets sucked into the fifth or something. That's yeah. got to be quite the climb up the silks that Adam hung for the red hand to climb up. Like, I holy know. cow. Yeah, the red hand was really, really neat. Um, he, what was up was with like neat. that weird red hand juice? Like that, and I think Edith has a little bit of that too. Um, yeah, it mentions she has some stuff? sort of liquid or something. I assumed that it was like his oil. I don't know. I think because he keeps being like, I am nothing like you. Okay, so he <laughs> his he's just a weird character. So he has, I wrote down some of his quotes because he's like, the mind is so robust, the body unravels and snaps. And the more they break, the more the mind <laughs> shrinks. And the moment before it cascades into death, the great intellect is reduced to a silent kernel. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like, he's like, what, like the, and, the voraciously indifferent internal dark he says like he talks like a poet yeah he's like this robotic cyborg poet yeah thing. yeah yeah oh i am nothing like you i am the riddle in the mouth of the sphinx 
I am the slaver that chews the living chain. I am the farmer of dead seeds, the filler of holes. Who am I? As like someone has a gun to his head. This is the riddled that he's throwing forth. <laughs> like, who uh, are you? I think <laughs> that's we'll, a great question. I think we might end up looking back on what this guy has been saying um, later on. Because it's maybe, I think when I was reading that stuff, it sounded like hints being dropped for sure. Yes. Because I wondered a lot of the time, like, how is this, how is this tower fed? Is there like a couple levels dedicated to agriculture? I don't know. I think that might be something that we see later and maybe it trickles down. I don't, yeah. I don't know. There's a lot. This book actually really for me seemed to, and for you, it seems like too, raises a lot more questions than it answers, which makes sense because there's four of these things, right? I mean, this is a lot of setup here this whole book serves right to, and like who built set everything up i don't know especially yeah. and there must have been some yeah. crazy overthrowing of that person because if you built the tower you'd probably want to be in control of it like a king or something but now the tower is bifurcated and all these different levels that apparently are controlled by different rulers kind of i don't know though i don't know though because it, it sounds to me like you know from I'm, I'm basing a lot of this on what the commissioner said right the commissioner that was a really key line when the commissioner mm -hmm. said you've you've upset you've angered people that you don't even understand like they're way above me it right. seems like there is kind of this chain of command type thing going on here you know like the arm yeah. of the sphinx the hod king like there seems to be a, a whole structure here that we're just not clued in on that the commissioner probably was and maybe even to an extent um finn goal i don't know we're gonna find out right he um when someone's talking to senlin telling him about the oh i think it's ogier talking about the piths is it the pith the guy that takes maria the visor is it pith? Pith the pelt pelt yeah, something like yeah. that he says and you know they're a really ancient ruling family and they have a lot of towers or they have a lot of ringdoms in their pocket is kind of what he alludes to. Also yeah. meaning that some are not in their pocket, right? Right. And maybe that's who Senlin is going to try to align with. What I think is going to happen, because we have four books here, there's, there's, in my opinion, only two things that can happen here. One is that Maria is just going to continue, not intentionally, but, you know, for lack of a better word, eluding Senlin. She's just going to be always just a little bit out of reach while these other obstacles keep taking up his time and energy, you know, or he's going to catch up with Maria. They're going to have some sort of reunion and then she's going to kind of like join whatever crew this seems to be or fellowship or whatever you want to call it. I'm kind of more in the, the former camp. I think that Maria is going to be, I don't think we're going to really see much of Maria till like the third or fourth book. Maybe personally. a flash. Maybe, but yeah. Which I, I thought we got. <laughs> But, but I think apparently he was just a losing meeting. Yeah, I mean, like I think as this series goes on, um, you know, Senlin had this initial fascination and kind of misguided specialty in the tower, and I think that maybe, like, I don't know, maybe he becomes the uh, the actual guy on top. It's been his life's work. Uh, it would be fitting for him to uh, to be that guy. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I, think, I don't know. I think he's going to become. I think he's going to get hotted. And then, <laughs> yeah, then obviously, they, lead a revolt. Ooh, Red Rising style. Yeah, Red Rising <laughs> style. Yeah. I also have to laud Bancroft. That's the author's name, right? Yeah, Bancroft. Yeah. yeah. And I'm struggling without the book, so I don't have that visual, you know, that yeah, I totally. always lean on. But um, during, I laud his explanation and also just funny, quirky beginnings of the chapters. He just gives these little nuggets of funniness or maybe insights by way of the guidebook that Senlin 
has. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, some of them are like really clever. Some of them are really telling. And others are just like kind of philosophical statements. Like one of my favorite ones is he says, up is not a straightforward direction. And it's a literal reference to the airships that go up the tower by way of slowly rising around it from the updrafts. Mm-hmm. And then also the stairs that take you up. But not in the literal direction up. And it was kind of one of those lines that made me pause for a second and ponder. Like yeah. it's really saying that sometimes in order to accomplish a goal or just generally do anything, sometimes you have to take a direction that is not the way you think that right. the goal lays. And that while you're not going towards your goal, that doesn't necessarily mean that you aren't getting closer to it. Yeah, that was, that's, that's beautiful. And I liked, that's yeah, beautiful, beautiful. I was like, that was cool. You know, like nice I like notice. that. Like, Thanks. <laughs> I have a quote here too that I really like. Okay, um, hit me. It is easier to accept who you've become than to recollect who you were. I think that's great. I think that says oh, a lot. That, I know that's kind of that, like kind of sums up. It's like the place that Senlin had to land mentally to be able to carry out this last series of events. Right. Because like there's he, a sense of like loss when you grow. Right. And Senlin doesn't want to be a bad guy. He never did. He never did no. this entire time. Like he's never there was not there was not a bone in this guy's body that wanted to hurt somebody, that wanted to shoot somebody, that wanted to betray anybody. He just wanted to, to the, get his wife back. He wanted to go on vacation. That's right. all that this guy wanted to do. You know, I mean before and, that, even to the annoyance of the whole town, he just spreads knowledge, even though yeah. they hate him for it, just because it should be done. Right. And the tower is the real villain here, you know, like this this whole this whole situation, this the the villains that people become because of the circumstances that they're in here in this tower. Everybody's fighting over each other and fighting over resources and people are constantly stabbing each other in the back here. People are constantly robbing each other. I mean, that was a really good tell and a really good example of the nature of this place that Senlin is not even entered yet when he's down in the skirts and that airship crashes and everybody just swarms on it like a bunch of ants you know like that should have been a hint right there for Senlin like this place is awful but like you said earlier like Senlin keeps a cool head and he's very like adaptable he's able to say like he's able to accept the reality of this horrible place that he seems to have found himself in and instead of letting it take him over and crush him, it's like he's he's rising to this occasion. Like it's really right. cool, and I think that quote kind of like really encapsulates all of that. Yeah, I think he's going to have. I agree. I think he's going to have this per- character progression where he starts off kind of not even aware of the real world, and then now he's getting that naive. I always get this word wrong. Naivet, naivety. Yeah, naivety. Naivety. Na- naivete. Naivete. He's going to have his naivety removed. And so he sees the real world, and then he's going to realize, I think the next step in his character progression is not only does is he aware of the real world, but that he can change it. Right. And he's going to be able to control. A very cool line at the very end of this, when he kind of looks at Adam, and there's no time for this big like conversation that obviously needs to happen of like, I'm so sorry, I sold you out uh, again. He says, say I, I, Adam. Yeah. When he tells so him cool. to go do something. Yeah, because he's basically saying awesome. like, I'm going to forgive you. But you are mine now. <laughs> like I, I am the captain of this. Yes. This is my show now. Yeah, yeah and Adam that thinks was about really it for cool. a second, and then he's like, "Aye, aye." Yeah, I got you. <laughs> All right. Do you think that Senlin cares about the tower? I don't know how to phrase that. Do you think that going through, like, at the end of this book, right, and like maybe through the next few of them, like, do you think that Senlin, because he, he, at the beginning of the book, he seems to have like this almost reverence for he holds it. it yeah yeah totally. Yeah. um do you think that as the books progress he's going to become more or less connected to it like do you think that he's gonna 
want to change things? Like, do you think he's going to take that kind of initiative? And, and do you think he cares enough about it? Or do you think that by now he just wants to get out of there? Like, what do you think the goal is going to shift to? You know, because yeah. it, it, it can't be Maria for four books, right? right. Like. I mean, it could, but I don't necessarily want to read about that. I will. No. But... I mean, he's already becoming a pirate captain. It's not just going to be Maria. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think his relationship with the tower will evolve just as I think his character progression and how he views the world will be. He's seeing, yeah. he, he thinks that what he's holding it high. He sees that it's actually not that. He accepts that. Then he's going to go about changing it and try to make it into the, you know, high thing that he was holding holding in reverence that was the right word uh so i think he's going to try to make the tower become what he wanted it to be once he realizes the power he actually has in the world and that he is the person that can enact that power yeah i agree with that and i have another question for you regarding the parlor um okay so adam worked in the parlor for a little while and when adam's kind of telling his story to senlin he says that he had applied to work there and they set him up in this position uh, looking through the peepholes. Do you remember that? Yeah. Uh huh. And so, at the end of a few months of him doing that, they give him this ledger, and it says like sixteen meaners or something. And he thinks that's how much they're paying him, but actually, that's how much he owes them for having been sleeping in the parlor and eating food right, and whatever, room and and whatever board, lodging yeah. there. Yeah. Basically, they hired him on also as an actor, is what they kind of said. So, is everybody in the parlor? including the people that are giving them jobs to do actors like the oh parlor is the parlor like is so weird play? yeah the parlor oh is so weird and i wouldn't have thought it was that weird until that conversation with adam you know where he kind of recounts his experience with that like what do you think Man. even the people that are branding edith and maybe they didn't even brand edith is was edith an actor like i don't know that was right, all Senlin... so weird okay yes 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 i i think you're on <laughs> something that i'm just now kind of realizing because there, there's something deeper going on with the parlor that we're not fully aware of. Because yeah. Senlin says something to him. What is it? There's like a confusing conversation between the guy leading Senlin away from the just branded Edith onto the next Where level. Where he asks, he's like, did I do a good job? Like, was I yeah. good? Yeah. And Senlin's just like, I didn't even know you were an actor. And then the guy he's says, like, and these guys thank like, you. Thanks so much. Yeah, because he <laughs> thought that Senlin was saying that he was acting so good. I didn't even notice you were acting. Right. Senlin was being literal. So, yes, I think you're totally right that there's a lot more going on with the parlor than meets the eye and didn't ever put the this puzzle piece into the picture though that adam the watchers were i just kind of figured it was a ridiculous way of making sure that the actors fed the fires but like if you're trying to trick people into keeping fires going there's way easier ways to do it just charge them or so or like say yeah. that the only way they can get past is if they do that like, like more free beer or something yeah <laughs> Yeah, because the beer me go round thing makes a ton of sense. That's great. That all works. Yeah, yeah, the, the beer me go round. <laughs> That's Isn't that what it was called? I think so. Yeah, man, I, I didn't. Yeah, some more thought needs to be put forth on the parlor uh, in my mind because I have I don't know what the purpose of that is and why everyone is an actor and who's in on it and who's not. We need to have some conversations with Edith. Yeah, and that's what I, I mean. I I said this before, but I'm really looking forward to. Edith. Edith is the character. I mean, I, I like Sandlin a lot, but Edith is the character I'm most excited about right now going into the second book. I think she's absolutely the most interesting because mm -hmm. um, she told Sandlin a lot of what was going on, but maybe she was acting like right there right. or like, I don't know. Maybe they were still being watched. I don't know. 
is very, very odd. You know, she obviously has like, something going on with the reference to my sister. Well, the red hand thing. Yeah. Yeah. Unless it's just like he's the killing your sister because they both are, have mechanical parts. Which I don't, I don't think, that, think that's is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was I what my mind initially thought of. And yeah. I was like, no, Chad, that's dumb. Um, dumb. It's just probably not. it's not right. OK, so Senlin sees a robot repair unit spider thing on the outside oh my god i keep forgetting about (laughs) like what the hell (laughs) right oh my god yeah it's like there's so much weird shit in this book that i forgot there's a giant mechanical spider that's like constantly crawling along the repairing the cracks and stuff but also when he gets to the tower not only an airship falls but also a huge block of tower yeah and adam mentions like "Ah, it happens and senlin's kind of like no, it's still being built at the top. It, nothing could harm my magnificent tower. And apparently there's some sort of chaos happening up there. Do you think the spider like periodically just chucks off pieces of rock into Maybe. the skirts? And it mentions the rock size is the size of a barn. <laughs> like it's a huge piece <laughs> of rock. So maybe that spider goes AWOL. Man, I am really like the, the fourth book came out last like late last year, I think. I'm really excited. I haven't even read the other three of this series, but whatever Josiah Ben, this was his debut book. Like whatever really? he, yeah, like whatever Whoa. he puts out after this is probably going to be really cool. I can't. He has a really, really good imagination. Yeah, he does, and like, like uh, a mind for intrigue and layers, and like we were saying, you know, the one of the reasons I love his book so much, and I'll say it again, is every level is different. You get to move from awesome little journey area to another awesome little journey adventure area you think that's going to keep happening in the book oh yeah like what i would not want to see is them be in one spot for like an entire book i mean i guess it could be cool if it was interesting you know anything's interesting if it's interesting but Um, like we have 600 at least there's a lot of levels here yeah (laughs) yeah Um, we only covered four in this book so let's get a move on seriously they gotta put some work in there's a lot more going on with the Ogier character than we're aware of as well. And I don't think that he's actually dead like it's alluded to because the commissioner says sometimes the falcon kills the hare. Or sometimes the falconer's falcon kills the hare when he's not in controlling it or something in reference to Ogier. And right. like basically he's dead. The red hand just like killed him. But at the end of the Ogier section where Ogier is putting him on the airship, he's like very apologetic to Senlin for not trusting him. And he's like, I had to be certain that you were her husband, that you were doing it all for her. And I had to make sure that you weren't a spy for like the Pilf family. But that doesn't make sense at all. If he was, and then he's like, in order to prove it, you got to go steal this thing. But if he was a spy working for the other side, he would just like go to the commissioner and be like, hey, give me this painting. I got to trick this dude and like get his trust. And I'm like, I don't know. It's like a ridiculous way of trying to prove someone's trustworthiness. I think I I know what you're asking. And I I feel like I can't really answer it without having read a couple more books, honestly. Because I think that there's just factions. Oh, yeah. I don't think we have. Yeah. I think there's just factions at work. There's so many more things at play here than, you know, the first book in in the series, whenever we read it, I feel like it's mostly just you and me saying how cool it is. (laughs) Yeah. But there are a lot of predictions we can make, obviously. And one of those for me is that there are just a lot of different, you know, as I said before, there is like, there seems to be this kind of more official, definitely the most in power chain of command, but there's got to be some sort of, you know, the rebels to the empire kind of situation going on here. What I'm wondering is how cohesive, and I don't know if I'm using that word in the right context here, but 
Like, do people like being here? That's Some what I'm. Actors were giddy. Well, what I'm wondering is like, okay, so and maybe you can answer this for me. Is the tower specifically a tourist destination, or is it specifically like are people living here? This is their this is their home because it doesn't seem like a very cool place to live. Right? No. Maybe it is for the people up at the top, but I mean, like, what's up with this village that Sandlin was from? That place seemed pretty chill. Like, why not live? In, yeah. And there are other people from different villages, too. And I mean, and I guess you could kind of ask, like, I don't know, it's like New York seems like a pretty shitty place. So why do so many right. people live there? And it's like, well, because it's New York, you know, it's like that's that's like it's like the, the center of the seed of civilization, you know, or whatever. Like, so, I mean, I guess I can I can understand it, but. I just haven't seen really any hint of anybody really having any kind of attachment to this place or or feeling like they making a life there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I think the tower is designed and controlled and manipulated as a tool to suck people in forever. Like everyone we meet seemingly is like from somewhere else. They came visiting, hoping to stay for a little bit or check out the wonder. Right. And then something yeah. happened, corrupted either left. them. Yeah, or, yeah. And they never left. So I think it's kind of designed. So you know, no one wants to be king of a graveyard sort of thing. So they're like sucking people in so they can use them and take their resources and then eventually slave them, maybe. Hmm. How very, very relevant. Yes. Uh, did you notice that the commissioner's airship is named the Ararat, which is the name of the mountain that Noah's Ark Ooh, lands upon when the waters recede there. after the yeah, great flood? That's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if we're going to find, I mean, because obviously, like I said at the very beginning of this episode, like Bancroft is not intending for this to be the Tower of Babel from... Um, the Old Testament, so he claims, but I don't know. Are we going to see some more stuff like that, do you think? I don't know. Okay, here's another one. Okay. So <laughs> Senlin puts a, I think, he, I, I, this is a question and a notice. So Senlin, I think, puts a sleeping agent in the bottle of liquor he gives to Kristoff, the like policeman who's watching over him while he's doing the supposed desensing of the the painting, right? Right. I think he gives him sleeping pill or something, because he gives him like brandy, then he falls asleep. Yeah. Enabling him to do the switch. Yep. Pull the old switcheroo. And we never actually learn what the painting is of. Yeah, we do. It's a girl. It's a girl staring at like a lake or something. Oh, really? Yeah. It goes okay. into a little bit of detail. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Because Senlin goes to like that weird party. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. He takes Ter Teru to that, which, by the way, I really liked Teru a lot. Me too. He's uh, not the last like, we've seen of him. Yeah. I mean, not the most likable at first, but, you know, he comes around. He's a pretty stand up guy for the most part. Totally, and, he does. And, like, his situation is, you know, pretty similar to Senlin's. Mm -hmm. But anyway, like, Teru and Senlin go to that party, and then Senlin sees the glass and um, kind of describes, like, what it is. Okay. You know, well, the, the painting of Maria is different than the painting that the commissioner wants. I just want to clarify that for everybody. Like there is like a like a kind of like half nude bust of Maria uh, sitting on Ogier's like patio or whatever. Um, that's different than the painting that the commissioner wants, which is different than the copy painting that Ogier painted. There's like technically like three paintings like being mentioned. Uh, no, so I just want to clear all that up. I'm glad you did because that that was a thing that struck me for a little while and had to, I came to the same conclusion as you, but I was like, wait, are they the same painting? No, they want Maria? Not. No. no. Um, okay. Well, when they're leaving the guard and I wrote it down because the guard looks at the painting and says, why does the dwarf walk on water? And then Senlin leaves. Like what? Or is that like, <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> is that no a reference idea. to Jesus? Maybe I have no idea. Like a maybe. bearded someone on water. I don't know. I don't know. 
I mean, probably but if it's not, a painting of a like woman, maybe. why is he saying that looking at this painting? I don't know. Because, well, I mean, maybe it's uh, in reference to o- Ogier is kind of like, he kind of knocked it together, right? Like the other, oh, you, right. you know what I'm saying? Like, because like, cause Ogier kind of, because Senlin said we need a, like a copy of this. And Ogier just kind of like, Ogier wasn't even the original person that painted right. it. So it makes a lot of sense that this guy, Ogier, whoever this fucking guy is, actually couldn't really paint. You know what I mean? And he's posing yeah. as this other artist. So I don't, that's all really weird too. Hmm. <laughs> that's, there's so many levels of intrigue, yeah. just like the levels of the tower. Right. Like and that might actually answer your question as to why people stay in the tower is because it is a area that allows them to recreate themselves and be hmm. someone different. The painter Maybe, yeah. became a painter, you know, like he wasn't that even before that, but he told that lie so much that he became right. it and they yeah, liked that persona you know so maybe i don't know i don't so much going on here i know like this is so many little hints that i'm like like, yeah this is not like your your boy in a in a village needs to go vanquish the dark lord kind of book um yeah no not even kind of which which i do want to read at some point on this podcast like i i am i thought we were gonna get that with lycanius yeah, me too. And then nope. <laughs> nope. Big fat nope. Big fat uh, no. I mean, we'll find something like that, though, for sure. Yes. Uh, one of my takeaway lines that I'm definitely going to use throughout the rest of my life is impossible. Professors cannot be running late. The sun must be running fast. Because <laughs> I'm late. Constantly. Yeah, you're late to everything. I don't have a good yeah. line. Now I do. The sun must be running fast. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say that so much. People are going to be like, oh my gosh. It's like one of those things that you, my like, grandchildren will take away. Like grandpa always says. It's going to be that. <laughs> the sun must be running fast. And <laughs> your boss is like, Chad, you were supposed to be here at nine. It's 1130. Right. Like I'm going like, to fire you if the sun runs fast again. You might- <laughs> <laughs> I've found that Chad time is basically non-existent when it comes to this podcast. You're You're on it. You're right here. I try. I really yeah, try. You're doing you great. Know? Good, good. Yeah, I feel bad sometimes. I'm like, I'm setting up, and then I get into a conversation with my roommate or something. It's like, dude, does it take 15 freaking minutes to set up your laptop? I know. I definitely. <laughs> I actually have been sitting here uh, on on an empty Zoom call playing my Switch <laughs> for like 20 minutes before. <laughs> I always um, alleviate my own guilt by thinking, well, certainly he's playing his Switch or reading. So. Yeah, I'm usually reading or playing video games. And then you come in and I'm at a good part. I know, yeah. I just love how <laughs> when I start reading the summer, you're like, I'm going to go get my Switch. It's going to take forever. <laughs> yeah. What did. are you playing? Uh, I'm still playing Breath of the Wild. Hell yeah. Uh, there's another quote that I think is just another good takeaway one that uh, we can all use is, Teru, Senlin's friend, refers to Senlin as an all-weather friend. Ooh. You know, like a fair-weather fan who only likes it when the team is succeeding sort of thing. An all-weather like, friend. Yeah. An all-weather friend. I was like, ooh, I'm going to use that. Like, all-weather friend. Cool. That's what you are, Chad. Yeah, that's what you are too. Ah, oh, stop. You're an all-weather friend. We'll see. <laughs> I know. That's I've already really... been through good times and bad times with you. <laughs> Not that you were the cause of them. No one take that away here. Just like you know, life events. And heaven's been there for me always. So many. So do you think that the tower serves a kind of purpose outside of itself? Like for the the greater world? You know what I mean? Like that's that was kind of my question at the end of this when I realized that it's, it's like when when Senlin said this is an engine, I thought like, is this some sort of is this a bigger deal to the wider world 
No. Then. You don't think so? No, I think okay. the engine is for the upper levels. And I think okay. much like the actual Tower of Babel in the Bible, it is built as a applause to man's own glory. To look what we have done. We okay. are almost gods because we can build a tower reaching into the unknown heavens. And um, then by it's a statement of arrogance. Hubris. Yes. <laughs> by thine own hubris. Hubris. <laughs> hubris. <laughs> I like saying hubris. It's a good word. I use, really I use that word. whenever I'm playing Dark Souls uh, or like Elden Ring or whatever, because I'm I get I get kind of cocky if I haven't died for a while. Oh you right, know? and then when I die, I'm always like, by my own hubris, <laughs> by my own hubris. <laughs> and it's probably some like little like piss ant like right, but it is dude, that is yeah. like that's how you die in those games is you get a little little cocksure, you know, and absolutely all of a sudden like <laughs> just took a few too many swipes, now you're dead. Something I just thought of that I wanted to bring up. Did you know? I'm sure you noticed halfway through the book, the guy he uh, he loses the guidebook, and then the next chapter yeah. is starting quoting himself as he's, the new he's writer. Reading, yeah, as his own journal. Yeah, uh, what was it? Um, one man's guide, one man's travails, or something like that. Yeah, um, something like that. It was a really cool name and appropriate, and much more honest than yeah, the previous guide. I think it was a really good kind of you know letting the reader know that. Uh, Senlin has kind of abandoned his previous like ignorance suppositions yeah right yeah he's kind of like this book is not hasn't helped me this entire (laughs) not one anything it's just let him wrong (laughs) but it's funny because there are some nuggets in there too Mm -hmm. and it's I don't know it kind of reminded me of um and I kind of mentioned this in one of our earlier episodes and we kind of touched on this book is it kind of reminded me of like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy um like the actual book the Hitchhiker's yeah. Guide, where it's kind of like this. There's it's a very good comparison. You know, it's a very like informative book, but it's also a little tongue in cheek sometimes. It's not quite as extreme as in this book, but it's almost like there's a there's a distance between the person reading it and the book. Like the book is not necessarily yes. like this companion guide. It's more like it's its own like personality. It's like its own thing, you know. Yeah, and it's like well it's not said. necessarily super helpful. It's not necessarily super like harmful, but it's not. In fact, sometimes it's even making a joke towards the the naive right the humor in this is you know it's not as it's not quite like pratchett or douglas adams or anything but there are just these kind of just wacky like whimsical but very very witty and sharp moments kind of littered yeah this witty book and kinda, sharp is good yeah it kind of gives me the same you know there's there's some like kind of pratchett moments or some even like lewis carroll kind of moments did kind of remind me of there's some alice in wonderland kind of like vibes going on here um, I bet you Josiah Ban- Bancroft would be an awesome guy to get a beer with. Yeah, I think so too. I think Except he'd have all the good lines. You'd be like, dang it, man. Yeah, I know. I really want to get him on this podcast, but he doesn't seem to be on any social media platform. No, at, he has yet to respond like, to my email. Really? Man. <laughs> yeah. what are, but what are, I am I have not failed yet. So right, I will get yeah. you, Josiah. I will get you. Hey, we got four books, you know. We got we got some time. I got some time, yeah. Maybe he'll listen to this, this episode. Yeah, and be like, wow, they really discovered so many things and had so many insightful things to say. Yeah, right. He even knew the error rat thing. Wow. Yeah, we're <laughs> to amaze him with our wow, wit. Wow, I don't want to talk to these guys because they didn't figure any of this out. They had this entire book. <laughs> I littered all these hints through and they made all the wrong <laughs> predictions about everything. Why are they even running a podcast? Right. What is wrong with these guys? Get an email back. You know, it's going to be a big coincidence, me not coming on your <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Shucks. Sorry. Sorry, Josiah. Is it Josiah? I 
don't think it's Josiah. I think we're distancing distancing ourselves even more. Oh, that's funny. Him. I think it is Josiah. I'm wondering now, like that we've had like this snippet of conversation. Like I, I don't want to see Senlin get too far gone. Like I'm already getting a little bit protective of him. Me too. You know, like I don't want to see him become a tyrant. I don't want to see him become like you know. It's like in Batman, Jack Sparrow. You know? Well, it's like you know, you either you either die the hero or live long enough to see yourself become the victim. Become the villain. <laughs> Which is at this point now, after like thirteen years or however long it's been since the Dark Knight came out, it's like such a used line. But when that first came out, people were like, "Shit, that, that's Woo. such a good oh my god, that's such a good line," because um, it's true. And it's uh, you know you can apply that to a bunch of stories, and you could definitely apply it to this one. You know, it's like, yeah. is Senlin gonna live long enough to see himself become the villain? Is is the nature of this tower that he's in, and you know this this mission that he seems to be on yeah the nature of power the nature of corruption like is it going to get to him and i like to think probably not i have a feeling that this series is going to have a fairly happy ending same um but the last book is called the fall of babel so will senlin fall with it uh i don't know i don't think so i Uh, think senlin as he discovers himself and his own power in the world he will i think he will be faced multiple times with decisions on how to use that power. And he might even choose bad a couple times. Right. But he's so self-aware and so quick to heap guilt on himself for many times other people's own decisions and actions that I think he'll stay, generally speaking, on the path of the good. And at the end, he will have changed himself and the world for better. Well, we will definitely find out in book two, which is called The Arm of the Sphinx. And Chad and I will be doing an episode on that really, really soon. Definitely look out for that. And everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Like These episodes are only as good as the books that we are reading, honestly. I mean, Chad and I, uh, we really love doing this. and We really love reading these books and talking about them uh, with each other and having you listen. But uh, damn, this is a really, really good book. <laughs> this is these are some this is very really well put book. together story, and uh, yeah, I'm really excited to get into it with you, Chad. Me too. We've had some conversations in the past that after we finish one of these podcasts and really deep diving into the story, I like the book less. That is the opposite of what has happened with this book. I like right. it even more after yeah. digging into it with you. So. Thanks for sticking with us, everybody. And uh, I'm excited that you've decided to join us on this awesome ascension into the unknown. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Chad, I'm looking forward to talking with you about book number two. And until then, happy reading, everybody. Bye, everybody. Oh, such a... (laughs) 